Hi there listeners. Welcome to episode 248 of Never on the Backfoot podcast. Today we are exploring the recent ICC Men's ODI World Cup 2023 and dissecting India's journey from a very unique perspective through the lens of sports psychology while also understanding the mentality of a high performing team like Australia. The tournament not only showcased the exhilarating highs and heartbreaking lows of the game, but also raised intriguing questions about the mental resilience of teams and players under the pressure of international competition. So buckle up as we navigate the mental landscape of cricket, exploring the highs, lows, and the invaluable lessons that can be learned from the world's most exciting and unpredictable sports. to join us for the discussion we have dr sahin gupta head sports psychology at cricket scotland he is also a sports and performance psychologist and founder of discovery sport and performance labs he specializes in re- resilience research and applied practice in elite sports his aim is to help teams and individual athletes develop their own potential and optimize resilience so as to attain long term success He has served in various leadership positions and is the youngest accredited practitioner of Luminas Park. Additionally, he has worked with various Premier League clubs in the UK and Team Great Britain tennis to name a few. Do check out Discovery Sports Lab on Instagram and their website for some amazing stuff that his team is doing. Without further ado, let's get started. Hi sir, welcome back to the podcast. You're almost coming after a hundred odd episodes, and a lot of things happened in between. So first, I know I've been following you. Amazing work, <laughs> right, sir? And uh, first things first, how are you doing today? I'm quite good. I'm quite good. Uh, in the middle of uh, preparation camp for the Under 19 World Cup now, uh, with Craig Sutherland and uh, exciting times. Although it is a bit cold, but uh, we work with what we have. <laughs> Right, so now uh, looking at the topic for our uh, discussion as well, we are looking at India's performance at the World Cup. It's almost a week; the hurt still uh, persists. So, what are your first thoughts on India's performance at the World Cup? And did you like see the result coming? Spectacular, you know, uh, because having been part of World Cup teams as uh, part of support staff and stuff as well, it is a big, big tournament. Like, uh. you as a spectator only tune in for you know the nine matches or something but there's travel in the middle and everything so first of all hats off to everyone in the team uh, support staff players everyone um, they played some fantastic cricket they played some cricket that put a smile on people's faces i think i think it's the best way to look at it because every single player contributed across the tournament and it was just fabulous and i watched the entire final uh from bef- from before the toss actually and to the end and it was I had a bit of butterflies when the um, you know i think it was what the 14th over or something when the you know going got really difficult in that sense but also i was i think the third ball uh, stark ball something pushed it out wide and then rohit sharma played that cut and it went every single match of the tournament that went for four but then uh, travis head was placed in a very wide third man and he had just 10 yards to make up and it was a single and that's when i knew this was going to be a competitive match for both teams to work hard to win the final because clearly like australians always do they did their preparation very well and that was the first side 
Right, sir. And now, um, you know, sports psychology is, of course, your uh, bread and butter. So what role do you think sports psychology actually plays in the performance of a team in this high-pressure event? Because this is the ICC Men's ODI World Cup. And how do you think it impacted, like, the outcome of the match? In this case, we saw how India was playing a home World Cup. So the pressure was, of course, like, massive. So how did you see that playing out? I think uh, psychology as a whole has always been a part of coaching, team building, generally speaking as well. And I think Rahul Dravid and Rohit Sharma created a fantastic atmosphere within that team. Because if you think about it, there were every player in that Indian team had, I think, at least 50 ODI matches. I might be wrong. Shubhan might have a bit less, I think. But everyone would have had at least enough around to going around the park, right? So it's not a young team. It's not an inexperienced team. There were seasoned veterans. Some people will look at that team and think that you've got Jasper Drummer, who's probably arguably the best fast bowler uh, India has produced in the last 15 years. Then you have Virat Kohli, Rohit Sharma. You don't need to really talk about them. We've got Jadeja in there as well. So I think they've created a very good environment around the team, which really helped because when you're with that team, you need to be with your team a lot because what they went through, support staff, team players, is unique. No one from the outside would have gone through it. And every World Cup journey for every team is unique like that. Given that it was a World Cup in India, uh, that was obviously magnified. Uh, when you look at the stadiums, everything is a sea of blue and everything. And I think it's uh, most of them would have taken it as a privilege as well as a little bit of a pressure because... Every player gets a bit of nervousness and that's normal and that's absolutely fine. But it was about creating that safe environment, which I think they did because they're really good friends. I think really good colleagues and really good trust in that team context as well, which I think translated into how they performed both with bat and ball and in the field. Right, sir. But now, even when you look at the context of India's loss, like, like, what do you think are some of the factors? Like, of course, you know, playing this uh, home World Cup and playing in the final. So, do you somewhere feel that the fear of failure might have, like, influenced the players' on-field performances? And in situations like this, what do you think some of the strategies, uh, you know, that can actually be employed to manage these uh, psychological challenges? Yeah, I think, see, the thing is, one thing we need to understand when looking at the psychology of it is that you can't just talk about 11 players. You have to look at 22 players, right? So the fear of failure would have been there for the Australians as well, would have been there for everyone who was involved in there as well. Uh, but it's not just about fear of failure, which is one of the factors which reduces performance. I don't think that was generally the case. I think it was... Just a combination of all the perfect, not so perfect factors, you know. Firstly, it was very evident that the pitch was very different to for the both teams. And I personally don't agree with the idea of such a pitch dependent outcome for a toss dependent outcome in a World Cup final. Uh, I don't think that would have been fair on Australia if the result went the other way. If India had won the toss and this had just been flipped. I'm guessing our bowling attack would have gotten Australia out for under 200 and then it would have been an easy chase. But it's also, it's not a very competitive outcome in that scenario, right? Because if the pitch is consistent, then it's the same for protein. But I think it is relatively not so. But it was also about 
then adap- adapting to the conditions i think both teams adapted to the conditions very very well because if you think about india's batting lineup they adapted to the conditions very well and they put up the best total i think by quite a margin in that circumstance and the australians adapted to the conditions very well as well because they played through the first half of it and then they had completely different conditions and they settled down in that you also need to look at planning and preparation i think uh, both teams did a very good job on that but i think the australians were just uh, better in certain departments in comparison to all the teams that india had faced before right so be it field placements be it bowling to a plan the discipline the consistency the tactical bravery because that was some very brave tactical choices by comins throughout the thing and all of that put that perfect factors in the perfect place for australia and uh, absolutely not perfect in the wrong places for india and everyone who's worked in the world cup will tell you that group stages are one thing but knockout matches they mean nothing and that that was what happened because it just flipped like that exactly and many people said you know the law of averages somewhere caught up with uh, team india <laughs> but i think the discourse has been so much about india losing that we're not looking at australia right now this is a team that has a reputation for constantly performing so well in uh, all your major tournaments so from a sports psychology perspective like what are some of the mental attributes and strategies you know that contributes to the success and resilience of a high performing team because australia is that team right the benchmark the template of a team that goes out yeah. there keeps winning repeated titles well uh, if you look, look at that team again that team had a very lovely balance of world cup winners keep in mind uh, other than i think uh, ashwin and virat no one has won a world cup in the current indian team if i'm not wrong right so australia had warner had hazelwood stark they they they've, they've done this before maxwell as well they've done this before but again if you think about how team unfolds through the world cup right if you think of australia's campaign they started doing all the not so good things then they found themselves about what was working in their combination what was not working and they took the positives and the strengths from that and they magnified their strengths right so for example they knew coming in that they only had one frontline spinner right so they use zampa in such a way with comments taking the responsibility and maximizing his strength of accuracy and bowling that tight angling in off some line in the middle phases of the over so before you knew it there was that phase i think it was the 18th over to the 26 27th over where maxwell had bowled three overs or something travis had bowled two overs or something and comments had bowled five overs and zampa had only bowled two so that's looking at a very strength based approach Australia and, and this is a characteristic of all you know winning world cup teams you don't look at what you don't have and try to improve that because when the campaign begins mentally tactically skill wise it's too late already so you need to optimize what you have and do it to the best benefit and i think australia did that fantastically because keep in mind they wouldn't be there if afghanistan had just bowled half a meter on either side of glen maxwell right but because afghanistan didn't bowl half a meter maxwell backed his strengths which is 
stay put, use your prodigious hand-eye coordination and just slam that innings. In the finals, similarly, they learned from that. When the opening partnership went, they didn't try to, you know, aggressively go. Both Labuschagne and Smith went, but both Lab, which wasn't out by the way, which we found out later, both Labuschagne and Travis had just stayed there and just been like, you know what? Let's not call Glenn into this. We're just gonna learn and rotate from there because the target was again very similar. I think it was two seventy against Afghanistan, two forty five or some two forty one against India, right? So. It's about backing your strengths and then going from there. And I think Australia did that very, very well. Right, sir. And uh, delving deep into this now, uh, how do sports psychologists actually work with uh, cricketers? Now, this is a team sport, right? Where everyone comes in with their own individual and collective uh, mind states. Yeah. And this is crucial. So are there any specific mental skills that are like specifically emphasized in cricket? Oh, definitely. So first of all, you need... Uh, well, cricket is not one sport. It's three sports. Okay, I think it's important to look at it like that. So let's take the three departments, batting, bowling, fielding. For batting, you need sustained concentration and attention over a period of time. You need to overcome fatigue to keep be emotionally controlled with it because being more emotionally aroused or more nervous or anxious reduces your ability to concentrate. And that leads to more errors, right? So that happens. From a bowling perspective, it's about proactive planning and adaptability. So you almost know what you're going to ball and then your skills just take it into that. And finally, in fielding, you have the ability to anticipate, the ability to look at different game awareness points and situations and then respond with that and accordingly. All of them are underpinned by good preparation and a good team communication environment because you need to be able to know almost where and what and where your other team member is doing and come back and support that in there. there. Fair enough, sir. And now uh, following this loss, of course, you know, the uh, team members would certainly be hurting so much. And like the women's team, uh, the men's team doesn't have like a team uh, sports psychologist. So I think on a personal level as well, I think these players would want to reach out in case they uh, require support. So how do you think a sports psychologist can actually assist them like as a team or even like individually in regaining confidence and focus for future uh, competitions? And again, are there any specific uh, techniques that have you know proven to be effective in such situations? I mean, uh, firstly, I think that the it'll hurt. Loss will hurt a lot. And I haven't been there, so I don't know, but it still hurts for me. And I wasn't even there. But it was one bad day. Right? And they did everything they could. And it was a game lost fair and square. In that way. They were, could have, they could, there's always could have, should have, but hindsight is a beautiful thing, right? So, and the way they played cricket throughout the tournament, they didn't change their template. And that's one thing I think Rosham always said, that we won't change our template. This is the way we want to play. We want to play brave cricket, exciting cricket, and come what may. And I think they did that, which is commendable. And uh, Paddy Upton has previously worked with the in cricket team lead up to the last T20 World Cup. I think Virat Kohli recently spoke up about how he's had conversations around that and so on. I don't think you need to do any 
how do I put this? It's not about making this too big of a thing, right? Because a fundamental part of sport is that there will be winners and losers. And as long as you put in your best processes, uh, you don't control the outcome always. And I think the Indian team did that. That's what I think didn't make the loss too hard. We weren't outplayed. We were just beaten on that day. And everyone is fallible. So I don't think any major mitigation strategies are required. But for young players, when we work with them, it's often important to understand, one, did you have a plan? If you didn't have a plan, that's the first place to start off with. If you did have a plan and you didn't execute it, try to understand why. Is it a skill issue? Is it a pressure and how to deal with it issue? Is it something else? And if you've done all of those things, if you've given your full effort, yes, it sucks, it hurts, but you've done the absolute best you could do. And that's all anyone can do in sport. That's true, sir. And uh, taking a leaf from Australia's book, now we've seen how Australia has been such a dominant team and their cricketing culture is often associated with like a lot of mental toughness, right? So uh, could you also elaborate on the concept of mental toughness in cricket? How is it developed and maintained uh, within a team? Or should India, you know, try to uh, not follow that template and uh, search, like, you know, search for something different? Well, uh, so a lot of my work works with different levels of athletes, right? And I would say the Indian cricketers are equally as mentally tough. You don't get to that stage in that way. Culturally as well, we're a very resilient country, generally speaking. But it looks different, right? For an Australian, demonstrating mental toughness is about withstanding pressure, having that strong man thing, and then executing skills regardless. Whereas the Indian approach is centered around key individual and team performances, which then come together to take the team forward in that sense, right? So it's more about how does that translate rather than how does that automatically get applied i think on any other given day and a lot of people have said this that if you were to pick a best team 11 from the final you would still probably pick a team majorly dominated by india why because they're technically tactically and mentally really sharp all-round cricketers so it's not just about what happened on that day but you have to look at the whole picture in that sense right so looking at all of that i would say both those teams are exceptionally mentally resilient and mentally tough it was more about how that changed according to the conditions which also changed which allowed the teams both teams to put up a really strong fight because Think of it like till the last 40 balls of that match, the second innings, a couple of wickets would have brought India back into that game. There was that one which fell in the gap between mid-wicket and deep square leg, somewhere middle. I think it was Marnus. Yeah, I think it was Marnus is that it hooked up like that. If that had gone into either deep mid-wicket or deep square leg, that's one end open to exploit that. And then the game would have completely changed in that sense. So that's the thing. And I think the ODI format is also another thing which people often miss out because the nuance is very different. So 
in a T20 game, you can have quick acceleration, but also very quick deacceleration, right? Because time as an element doesn't play a role. So external factors and all of that play slightly less of a role. But ODI games, much like test matches, have that factor of cricket of time brought into it, which plays a much, much bigger role. And so I'm glad actually you brought this point up because mm-hmm. when you look at the nature of limited overs cricket, it requires quick decision making. Uh, T20 mm-hmm. cricket, we've of course seen it. And now with ODI cricket, you know, especially the last few overs also going the T20 mode. Mm-hmm. So how do you think sports psychology contributes to you know, enhancing decision making skills of players? And somewhere do you think, you know, mitigating the impact of the stress on decision quality is also something that is an area of interest and can be researched upon more? Well, it has been researched upon quite a lot and that's what we work with. So really good players, it's not like they're bulletproof. They also experience stress. They just learned to adapt and perform despite higher levels of stress, right? So because in sport, the margins are very fine, especially in a late sport, right? So when you look at that type of thing, you can't really not have stress. You always have stress. It's about how you overcome that and be resilient around it. In limited overs cricket, it's very essential in terms of psychology work and coaching to be together because what you have is roles, right? So the player must have role clarity, which is understand what the role is. Second, adaptability, which is adapt the roles according to circumstances. And finally, execution and acceptance of that role to then try and best to do that job. Okay. If you think about it, there were perfect roles in both the teams. There were very clear roles in both the teams. And there was one pivotal moment, which I think Australia won in terms of just the game thing, which had a massive impact on everyone else's role in the Indian lineup, which was Josh Hazelwood's that beautiful ball to Sreya Shire. Because throughout the tournament, you've had Rohit Sharma going hard up top. Everyone knew it would happen. It happened. He delivered. He did his role. Shubman was inconsistent because of Dengue and then coming back and playing. So, Virat Kohli was the anchor, scoring a bulk of runs. He did the same thing as well. Now, when Rohit Sharma went, it was Shreya Sayar usually comes in. He's had a fantastic World Cup. And he would score on an average minimum of 20 runs and a maximum of 100. But more importantly, he would stabilize that period with Virat Kohli. Very good player of spin, working that around. So, by the time KL Rahul comes in, to consolidate, that role has been fulfilled. But India had to adapt because Josh Hazelwood took that beautiful ball, beautiful wicket. And it happens. That's what sport is. Kale Rahul had to come in and then adapt his role to do two roles at one go, which he did quite well, given the circumstances. But Ravindra Jadeja had to come in when Virat Kohli's wicket fell a lot more and adapt his role as well. So they got pulled a bit more away from their roles. Whereas Australians, because of that one change of that wicket, could embrace their roles more and actually have more flexibility on that as well, which I think made a big difference. 
Fair enough, sir. And, you know, we are able to see this with uh, so much clarity. But for the regular layperson fan out there, this this win, you know, is, this loss is going to certainly take a lot more to, you know, uh, get used to. And now when you look at India's performances in ICC tournaments, it's been almost 10 years. We have a trophy drought. And uh, many are, you know, likening this team to be chokers in uh, most of these uh, knockout matches. So, sir, what do you think? Like, can we take some lessons uh, from this World Cup to, you know, build more mental resilience? as we go ahead i don't think any team can be called chokers i think that's baseless it's it's unfair it's it's just not true right from 2003 onwards we haven't reached the knockout stages or the finals only once which was 2007 every other time we have reached the phases and we've played good cricket to reach there as well right I guess what is, there's obviously very natural expectation that you have to, you know, win it every time and so on and so forth. But you have to understand that in the period of 2003 to 2023, 20 years, there's been five ICC tournaments, ODI World Cups, there's been a few more T20 and Champions Trophies. You've also had three different era changes in there. You've had Ganguly to MS Dhoni to Virat Kohli, post-Virat Kohli captaincy as well. You also have to look at changing teams, right? So the Australian team now is pretty much the Australian team from 2015 and 2019. Relatively similar. We saw the same thing with England, right? We haven't had those blips. So whenever teams go through transitions, but players get old, right? It's it's normal. They have massive drop-offs and massive dips. We have never really had that. And that's a credit to change management as well because we have such a big talent pool. People obviously expect a lot, but it takes time for those things to gel together and then go from there. So I think it is one of those things. Um, and I don't think they're chokers at all. I think they will learn a lot in terms of how to maybe modify the balance a bit and so on and so forth and go from there. But then again, I'm pretty certain Rohit Sharma won't be playing the next ODI World Cup in four years' time. I think Virat Kohli might just. So we need someone to find now to replace one of the all-time great openers in ODI cricket now which is not an easy job. It's much easier said than done. So you have Shubman Gill there who's sort of proven himself though, who partners with him. We'll have Virat Kohli at number three, then who goes four, five, and then on from there. So that's again a massive job. Certainly, sir. And uh, now, you know, uh, a lot of these uh, cricketers faced a lot of backlash on social media. They were mercilessly trolled and there was so much, uh, you know, unnecessary things happening. So, so how do you think, you know, the insights that we gained through this conversation about, you know, analyzing India's laws can actually be constructively used to even create this whole conversation, you know, around mental health in sports, make fans also like understand that losses are a part and parcel of the game and everything is not just about winning all the time. Yeah, so here's the thing, right? Every time someone says that uh, there's all been now, they get paid so much and then they should. I, I was like, it's a job. It's a very high-paying job, but it's also a very high-stress job. You're away from your families a lot. 
lot of the time by my dad and uh, you get to deal with all of this and you're doing the job at the very elite level right and you have about what 2 billion people watching when you're doing it so imagine that you're doing a job you're doing your job whatever your job is and you've got 2 million people watching everything even if 20 people are watching you're doing it differently right and people are very very quick to criticize and i think we're always uh, there's a old joke i remember when growing up when uh, sachin tendulkar had his uh, elbow issue there were a billion doctors in india so <laughs> was that old joke but it's true i don't think that you should sort of devalue the people because i can guarantee you right now the team which played the world cup final wanted to win it more than anyone else in the country and were more disappointed at losing it than anyone else in that country right and hard that may be to believe so when we look at conversations around mental health you obviously have structural impacts around you know these narratives and so on and so forth which is uh something we cannot control but what we can control is our responses to it and i think a lot of the players have been quite understanding and magnanimous there were also some very bad instances of uh, glen maxwell's wife i think uh, being uh, abused and etc on social media um the australian players receiving a lot of backlash and so on and so forth i think it's hard for several people to accept that we lost and online social media makes it a very easy target to attack behind a very closed uh, veil which is not fair but it is the reality of it in terms of larger conversations around mental health i always look at it that if you're happy that your team won you also have to accept that sometimes they might lose that is the nature of sport and if you are only there for the good times then i don't think you are really a supporter or a fan of that team at all because special moments come but they're not always there and maybe we'll end up making a dynasty like the australians did but keep in mind when the australians were in the late 90s and the early 2000s there was no competition except for one team which was ours right and the famous 2003 in gardens test such in against australians and so on and so forth great memories in the history of the sport but the australians didn't have to cope with everyone to do it and the last thing is i think people underestimate how much cricket is happening these days so i've seen a lot of a lot of comments around uh, why does this player need to take a break etc etc cricket game in a odi game goes on for roughly 8 hours right you need to reach the ground 30 minutes before first ball for the toss so eight and a half hours now and then you need to prep which is one more hour on top of that which is nine and a half hours now which means you have to get out of the hotel and reach there which is another 45 minutes in the best of circumstances which is 10 or 15 minutes and then after the match you have to do press conferences in the 45 minutes so that's 11 hours and then takes another 50 minutes to get back to the hotel that's solid 12 hours the crowd looks at only the 8 hours and that to switches off the ads and watches something on netflix in the middle or does some work you can't manage that much it's unhealthy you players get injured because of that 
So you can't keep those comments in that sense. When players require a break, they require a break. And sometimes it's literally the best thing they can do for them. So That actually puts a lot of things in perspective, sir, because right after this World Cup, we have, we have the T20 series that's going on. And a lot of the senior yeah. players uh, were rested. And then again, we saw a lot of backlash. Like, why are they being rested? You know, we have another World Cup that's coming up. This team should have cohesion. They should play more uh, often. So I think, you know, taking a break is uh, as important uh, for our uh, elite players as well. And sir, as we wind up on our discussion, do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom for our listeners? I don't know about words of wisdom, but I guess I really personally enjoyed the World Cup. Um, just in terms of the unpredictability, especially in the second half of the tournament as well. And I think uh, the next World Cup will also be very, very interesting in terms of having different sets of players and a different generation of player to come up. I'll also say is enjoy the fact that we've got a pace trio like that because they won't be there for much longer uh, just by because of the fact that Mohamed Shami is what, 32 now, I think, 32 or 33 uh, I, very unlikely that he will be there for the next World Cup, which sad, which is a bit sad for me, if I'm being honest. He's one of my favorite bowlers. Uh, Siraj will be there. Bumra will might just be there as well. Hopefully, he's fit, fine. Enjoy that. Enjoy Virat Kohli putting on a technical masterclass every time he steps out to bat. Enjoy Rohit Sharma doing Rohit Sharma things. And just, it's a sport. So there is win and loss, but you're not going to win every time, right? So why expect that of everything? That's a fitting conclusion, sir. And on that note, I'd like to draw curtains on our discussion. Thank you so much, sir, once again for uh, joining me on the podcast and taking time off your busy schedule to you know, share these uh, remarkable insights. Just hoping we can have you back again and not after another 100 episodes, but way sooner than that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Nair. It was a pleasure. I look forward to keep Following never on the back foot, uh, get on the front foot. <laughs> Thank you so much, sir. Cheers. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning into this episode and for your unstinted support. Please follow and press the bell icon on Spotify and subscribe to the podcast on Google Podcasts for the latest episode updates and stay tuned. Do check out at the rate never in the back foot on Instagram and threads and at the rate never in the back one on Twitter, now called X, for the latest facts, updates, fresh content and a lot more that's coming up this cricket season. The audio podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Spotify for Podcasters and many other platforms. So please do spread the word. Never on the Backfoot is now also on YouTube. So don't forget to subscribe to the channel and follow us for fresh content there. Until next time, stay safe and take care listeners. Bye for now.